Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. It's where I'm going to be taking uh, our text from this morning. Romans chapter 7, picking it up in verse 15 and going through about verse 25 today. I'm going to be using the message Bible just for the purpose of practicality and uh, helping us to take uh, what would normally be a confusing vernacular in text and making it more applicable to our lives and understandable. And so I'll have those on the screen for those of you who do not have that with you. Uh, Last week I shared uh, concerning fasting and just some of the things that we feel God is saying to us this year. And, And over and over these same things are being reiterated to us and we are hearing them clearly as God is declaring this year is a year of multiplication, a year of momentum, a year of movement where God is moving us and propelling us forward. I don't think that that is just a corporate word spoken over us, but I think it's also a word that is spoken to us personally if we can receive it. If you can receive it this morning, uh, uh, there's probably some people in the house today that says, I could use God multiplying my finances. I could use God multiplying my favor. I could use God multiplying some blessings in my life, multiplying my health, and just working in different avenues of our life. And so I'm encouraging you not to just leave it up there corporately, but to also brace it for you personally. And so last week we talked about three things that fasting does. I'm going to give you three more today. But three things that fasting does from last week is it enlarges our capacity for the things of God. It frees us from current patterns and helps us to establish new patterns in our lives. It connects us to the current activity and vision of God. We also talked about hunger and developing hunger. For God, Matthew 5, 6 says this from the message. It reads, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. I shared with you again some of our corporate focus for our fast. And that was to simply uh, to pray that God would multiply our hunger for Him. Multiply our hunger for His presence, for miracles. For the lost, we, we all know people that are lost and, and this is a season where we need to be bringing them in as his church, gathering in the harvest and seeing people's lives changed and saved for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. We ask God to multiply our influence in this region, increase our reach, help us to expand beyond just Burt Burnett and the, and, and the immediate region but beyond into the outer lying regions to increase our impact and our visibility I'm just praying that God just pull the scales off the sinner's eyes so that when they drive by, they can see a refuge. They can see a place of hope. They can see a place of restoration. And they can see the river as that place. God, multiply our resources, our finances, our attendants, and our leaders and our workers. As pastor, I've given the what, the what for us corporately and ask all of us, all of us, to seek out the portion of the how it is done in seeing that vision come to pass. And so today, as we begin to launch our fast and as we get ready to make commitments to the fast, I not only want to give you 
a corporate vision for our church, but I also want to help everyone in the building find something personal that God wants to do in your life. Not, not just corporate, but personal. Where, where is God's personal vision for you trying to be fulfilled? Where is He trying to work in your life and change and transform you? And so we want to be receptive to that. And, and through fasting and certainly through uh, spending time with the Lord, we can begin to understand and see and sense those things and then allow them to come to pass. Fasting is something that gives us a plan. You need to understand that. Fasting gives us a plan. It gives us a corporate plan, but it also gives us a personal plan. It gives you a goal to work towards. Through fasting, God begins to unveil those things that are in our way and He begins to give us a plan for how we can advance our lives and lift our lives toward Jesus Christ and His purpose. It helps us identify the portion uh, of ourselves that needs to be laid on the altar of sacrifice. And as I've told you for the last couple of weeks, and I just want to drive this point home, is the portion that we dedicate and consecrate is the portion that God works with It is the portion that he multiplies and it is the portion that he blesses. And so if you need something blessed, dedicate it and consecrate it to the Lord and watch his hand of multiplication be applied to it and watch it explode on the scene. With that in mind today, you know, what is God dealing with us about? What is God dealing with you about? What is it that we need to commit to God and you need to commit to God And fast for a change. So this morning I want to finish up that message, fasting for a change. And uh, we're going to look a little deeper into the word this morning. And see how fasting can help us with certain areas. And see what God has to say uh, from uh, Romans chapter 7. Let me ask you this morning, does January 2014 look an awful awful lot like January 2013? Does your January from last year look exactly like your January from this year? Because I would say there's probably a large portion of people in the church who would go back and the problems and the struggles and the issues and the, and the, 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 the difficulties that they were dealing with in January 2013 may be a lot of the same things that we're dealing with still in January 2014. And what we want to see over the course of a year is we want to see God's transformation working in us and moving us from one place to another in life. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is if your 2013 looks like your 2014, then let's set some goals for this year so that when we reevaluate ourselves next year in January that it looks much different than it does right now. And we can look back and we can see where the hand of God has been applied to our lives and where He has brought us from one place to another and He has delivered us and transformed us and worked in us to accomplish His will and His plan. Amen? Where have I grown in Christ? What am I free from today that I wasn't free from a year ago? As I've thought about this week, uh, just a flood of thoughts and scriptures have come to mind. So, so much that if I preached everything that God was speaking to me today, we'd still be here next week uh, around this time. And I, and I wouldn't do you that way. 
But I am going to ask you to bear with me as I just kind of unveil and unfold some things before you this morning. And uh, because it's important that I give you what God has given me to give you this morning and that at the end we have a time when we come and we commit to fulfilling what God is laying before us to fulfill. Well, can I get that commitment from you this morning? All right, good deal. Something that I cannot get away, away from today and it really flows out of the second point that I made last week. And that is that uh, the second point, of course, last week was fasting frees us from current patterns and helps us establish new ones. And that has just been resonating in my mind of trying to help a church and a people move from old patterns into new patterns. Old thinking into new thinking. Old struggles into new freedoms. And discovering what God wants to do in breaking some of those strongholds and those things that are keeping us from advancing in the kingdom. I think a lot of us can relate to this point in that in many areas of our lives we see ourselves as stuck in a pattern we don't want to be stuck in and we are longing to establish a new way of life there. And so let's look at our text in Romans seven fifteen through 25 and I would imagine that everybody in the room can relate to Paul's words from the Message Bible. It says this in verse 15. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I, really, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Have you, not of yourself of course, but have you looked at your neighbor before and thought something has gone wrong deep within them? <laughs> something is not, there are some wires in there touching that should not be touching. Something is not right. That's what Paul's saying, but he says it about himself. It happens so regularly, verse 21, that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. <laughs> I can relate to that. I want to do right, but not all of me is on board with that. He says this, he says, parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Verse 25 says the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. What a great passage. What a great relatable passage. I feel Paul's pain, don't you? 
I sense his struggle. I can relate fully to where Paul's coming from in this passage of Scripture. Now I want to read just a portion from the New King James and that's where I'm going to focus and hone in today and give you three things uh, that we can expect to happen as a result of fasting. Verse 15 says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Three things that fasting will do for you. Romans 7.15, the first part of the scripture says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. Fasting, number one thing, first thing this morning, fasting gives you spiritual understanding. Fasting gives you spiritual understanding. Have you ever been in a place where you need to understand what in the world is going on around you? God, what is the problem in my life that keeps me from advancing towards you? What is in the way? I need spiritual understanding in order to understand the issue at hand and how to deal with what God's trying to deal with in my life. I need sensitivity. I need an understanding of how he's speaking to me and how he's working in my life. And fasting helps me to position myself so that I can gain spiritual understanding. Listen, understanding the why behind the what is very important. It is hard for me, probably not for you, but for me to do what I am told to do if I don't understand uh, the reason behind it. It's true. Can I confess to you this morning something? Me and April fight over this issue right here uh, uh, quite a bit. Because she'll tell me to do something and if I don't understand the why, then I'm asking her why. And she's saying to me, will you just do what I'm asking you to do? The reason she says that is because she don't have 45 minutes to explain to me in, in my density so that I understand what she's actually doing. But I have a hard time following something that I don't understand why we're doing it. Most of you are like that, right? We're not always good here at the church, in life, at our work, of explaining the why behind the what. Something that God's dealing with us about is that very thing. If you want people to follow and you want people to join in, they got to understand the what behind, or the why behind what we're doing. We're all that way. Throughout Scripture, we can read instances and over and over again where God gave visions or, or a word to a group of people that wasn't clarified or understood until a season of fasting, and then he exploded in their minds the understanding and the revelation of what he's trying to do. Daniel is a great example of this. Many times there's a vision given to Daniel and he didn't understand what the vision was. So he would go and he would pray and he would fast and God would begin to unveil and reveal to him the things that God was trying to communicate to him. And God did this for others as well. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning is in order for me to do the right things, the things that are beneficial to me, and stop doing the things that are wrong in my life, the things that are detrimental to me. They may not necessarily be sin. But there are things that are not sin in your life that are not beneficial to you. Do you understand that? There are things in your life that are detrimental to you. Yes, they may not necessarily be sin. You may not be able to find a do not in here that correlates to the detrimental action in your life. But the fact is it still does not help you advance with the kingdom of God. It does not move you towards a deeper relationship with Him. And if that's the case, then it is in the way. And it must be removed. It must be dealt with. 
It is necessary for me to understand those things that I have to cultivate spiritual understanding and sensitivity. It's one thing to know God's commands, but it is another thing to submit to them freely and effectively. And for us to do that, we have to understand what God is saying for us to truly submit fully, freely, and effectively. I may do what you tell me to do, but I may not necessarily do it freely and effectively if I don't understand why. Right? So that's what we're talking about. Spiritual understanding. Studying the word always is there to give you the what in life. What are we to do? What are we to understand? What are we to know? But prayer, spending time in prayer gives you the why behind the what. When you, when you read the word of God, you're going to have a lot of questions as to why God would do certain things. But if you will spend time with the master... If you will spend time in his presence reflecting on the what he tells you, then you will understand and know the why behind it. Fasting helps us to step into that realm quicker and faster and it explodes, again, the revelation in our mind. In addition, we want to know and understand where God is moving and what he's up to. You need to know that, not just corporately, but also For you personally, where is God moving and working in your life? How do I find that out? We spend time fasting. What is God up to in your life right now? Where where is God trying to work in you and in you and through you and on you? Where is God doing all of the work that he's doing? Fasting Fasting helps us heighten our sensitivity and it gives us the spiritual understanding that we need. One of the things that, that God has put in my heart to pray often is this, that God, you would give me eyes to see ears to hear, and a mind to know what you are doing. And through that, God begins to unveil what he's doing and where he's working. We want to be sensitive to that. Number two is found in the second part of Romans 7.15. It says, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. Fasting helps me cultivate the right practices for my life. Don't raise your hand, but many of you last year At the beginning of the year, we talked about fasting. We talked about prayer. We talked about quiet time. We talked about reading your Bible and all of those things. And probably not a person in the room said, I'm not going to read my Bible. Probably not a person in the room said, I am not praying. It's not happening. Every one of us made commitments, whether we did it vocally or whether we did it on paper or whether we just did it in our mind, we made commitments. I'm going to read my Bible this year. I'm going to spend time with the Lord this year. I'm going to get closer to God this year. And many of us fell off the track. Let me relate it to another area. Many of you in this place said, I'm going to lose weight last year. And all you got to do is look around the room and see that many of us fell off the track. Praise God. Fasting helps us cultivate the right practices for our life. Paul recognized in his own life the struggle to do right. And he openly admits it in this passage of scripture. He's saying, look, there's some things that I really want to do that I'm just not doing. There's some things that my heart says we got to do this. And when it comes to my will, he says, no, we don't. I don't have time for that. I got other stuff in the way. I got, I'm busy. I got the kids pulling on my 
my, my shirt asking me to do this for them. I've got this person drawing me in this area and that area. And I've got all this stuff going on. Most of us can relate to that. We start the year with a number of resolutions. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to pay off bills and so on and so on. But then our January 2014 looks just like our January 2013. Goals without progress, hopes without realization, and desires without action. Look at verse 16 again. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, so so if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. I obviously need help. Thank God for people that recognize they got to have some help. Some people are still stuck in the place where they don't want to admit they need any help yet. You are a long ways down the road when you admit, i got to have some help. Verse 20 goes on to say, My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. And listen, I, I want to say this to you. I've said this to you before. And I often feel like when I say it that it comes right back here to me and it's not received or even necessarily even understood. And that is that this, that reading the word alone is not enough to transform your life. Listen to me. Information does not automatically correlate to transformation. We know the scripture says... Listen, here's, I'll prove it to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. But it also says that faith without works is dead. So if I know the word of God, but I don't couple that knowledge with action, then the word never comes alive in me and produces transformation. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Yes, yes, the Word of God is living and powerful. But what I have to understand is this, that it is living and powerful apart from me, in spite of me, and regardless of me. It is only alive and powerful in me when I put it in there through study and then release it through my lifestyle and action. Then and only then. Is it powerful and life-giving in me? Now that, it may have come back up here again, I don't know. But that is good stuff. And if you will take that and you will meditate on that and you will let that uh, just germinate in your mind, it'll begin to produce some freedom to you and it'll begin to explode the Word in your life so that you understand what God, why behind the what. Here's the point that I want you to get. It's one thing to know God about God it's one thing to know about God and it's another entirely to know God I'm going to say it to you again it is one thing to know about God everybody in this room knows about God we have some understanding about who he is we've studied the word we, we have some theology in our lives we have some doctrine in our lives but that's not enough to have a relationship with God there is a theologian, I shared this this week while I was gone to class and I thought this was just amazing story is that he had written 51 theology books about God before he ever accepted him 
as his Lord and Savior. I can't remember the name of the gentleman. Wrote 51 books about God, but it was in that 52 book that he finally come to know God. Can you imagine the revelation that flooded that man's mind when everything that he had studied and learned came to life in him? We can know about God, but it's something different to know Him and to truly have a relationship with Him. Let's move on. Verse 18. I'll try to get through. I realize that I don't have what it takes, he says. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. Doing what is right cannot be willed done. Doing what is right cannot be willed done. You cannot set your mind strong enough to accomplish what your heart does not want to do. Heart trumps will every time. It requires a change of heart in order to receive a change of life. Fasting helps us cultivate the right practices in my life. Why? Because it starts to work on the heart. A lot of us are not accomplishing what we want to do because we still have not dealt with parts of our heart that are just in the way. Number three. Don't get too excited because this is my longest point. And this is where really God has just really dealt with me this week and and for this church. Romans 7, 15, the last part of the verse says, But what I hate, that I do. But what I hate, that I do. The third thing is fasting reveals and breaks the things that control me. Fasting reveals and breaks the things that control me. Verse 18, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do that anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, and I would say to you that what Paul's saying there is if you will take time to chart your life and your relationship with God, what you will find is that you are in a repeating cycle of the same things. I draw closer to God. God starts putting uh, things in my heart to do. Fear comes in, grips me, scares me. I back off. I start fading away from the Lord. Then I have a spiritual renewal. I go through the process again. Many of us find ourselves in that repeating cycle. It's so predictable and happening regularly. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they come in and take charge. This is what I see, and this is what troubles me. And this is the point that if if you get nothing else, please get this. I see an ever-increasing culture that embraces salvation and the love of God and ignores the sin and the judgment of Christ. There is no right, listen church, there is no right without wrong. There is no salvation without rejecting sin. There is no love of God without the judgment of God. I read an article this last week that the Pope, and I don't even know if this is true because, you know, it may not be true. So just, that's my uh, disclaimer. Right there. 
But it said that he come out and said that we've been wrong about certain things and, and we no longer believe that there's a hell. There is a hell. If there is a heaven, then there is a hell. And listen, you can't accept Jesus Christ and not turn from your old lifestyle. And we have churches that get up and teach about the love of Christ and the love of God and just coming to salvation, but never tell you that if you don't turn from sin and straighten your life up, that it does not count for you. Well, that doesn't make anybody happy in the room, did it? But the fact is, it's the truth. And we're living in a culture that, that quickly is embracing salvation without rejecting an old lifestyle that wants the best of both worlds. And Jesus just said plainly, look, if you don't love me and hate everything else, then you're not my disciple. I see a culture that has accepted Christ's offer of salvation without turning from sin. We treat Christ's love as though it requires no sacrifice in return. I embrace his life without changing mine. You know, I'm amazed at what Facebook reveals. Anybody else? You know, people put stuff on there and I'm thinking, do you know that I'm your friend? Do you know that you're coming across my news feed? I mean, honestly. (laughs) People are scared that I'm going to start looking at them in this service. Praise the Lord. It's nobody here, of course. I see people all the time. And this is what blows my mind is in one post, they celebrate the world and lifestyle that they're leading that is so contrary to Jesus Christ that it flies in the face of everything the Bible stands for. And then with the same season or moment that they're on Facebook, they'll turn around and post something about how great God is and how wonderful He is in their lives. And I'm just, if you just, there's some people are a rolling, a scrolling contradiction. It's true. I'm so excited about Jesus Christ's status for the day. Later on, I can't wait to go party with my friends. Which one is it? Which one is it? Praise the Lord and all His might and worship His gloryful name and then beep, 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 the next one. Which one is it? Salvation requires you to choose a side. You have to draw a line and say, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to reject this part of my life. I don't want that anymore. Listen, if there's life in that, then go get it. Just go live it up, enjoy it, embrace it. And I'm gonna, but I promise you, there's no life in it. If you truly want life and peace and hope and purpose, then you've got to come to Jesus because He's the source of all those things. Is this good preaching today or not? All right, I don't know if people are with me this morning. Some of you are sitting there like bumps on a log, praise God. May have to nudge somebody, wake them up. So pastor, but that doesn't help me is what you're saying. All you have done is establish the problem and that is that I, what I hate, that I do. Listen to James 1.13. This is what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14. 
But each one is tempted when he is drawn away or she is drawn away by his or her own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. What is the problem according to James? The problem is me. And it's an internal problem. Too many times we find ourselves in situations where we are rebuking the enemy and begging God to rescue us when in reality we have willfully traveled into the place that we find ourselves in. God, please take care of this court situation when the fact is I'm only here to do due to five previous tickets that I received. Get me out of this mess, God, that I have traveled into. God, please help me make ends meet financially when the fact is I've squandered my check at the mall, at the movies, and eating out, or at the casino, and now I'm in trouble, and suddenly God becomes my bailer. Oh, I just, I just got down with the folks right then, didn't I? Wow. Help me. Most of the messes and mistakes we find ourselves in are self-inflicted. The devil didn't make you do it. Listen. In the kingdom of heaven, you don't get a ribbon for just trying. And not to go off on a tangent, because I could easily go off on one this morning, but I'm sick of getting a ribbon for trying. Everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody participated. We have lost our competitive edge to advance the kingdom of God because we have watered it down in mediocrity. And now everybody's on the same playing field. But I told our worship team this morning and our prayer team, listen, I come into church with a mission in mind and that is that nobody's going to do church better than me. Nobody's going to. You're not going to out-praise me. You're not going to out-preach me. You're not going to out-Pentecost me. You're not going to out-worship me. You're not going to out-work me. You're not going to out-any of that of me. And if the church would get that in their spirit again, we would see this thing take off and blow up because God will work with people with passion and drive that want to advance the kingdom of God. No ribbons for trying. But what I will tell you, there is a crown for those who overcome. Hallelujah. Man alive, if you don't like this this morning, you just don't like anything. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who what? Who love him. And he said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll draw a line in the sand. And you'll give it all to me. Yes, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And embracing God without rejecting sin and turning from old ways won't get you to heaven. All it does is create a false sense of salvation. So here's the answer that you're looking for. How do I get it right? 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your, sorry, that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in, godly, in a godly matter 
that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For Listen to this, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance. What is repentance? Repentance means I turn away from sin and I turn to God. I don't just turn to God and just bring my sin along in the relationship. I turn away from sin and I turn to God. Godly sorrow produces repentance. But worldly sorrow produces death. Produces death. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that if I don't feel the conviction power of God working in me and feel sorry for what I've done to the Lord, then I may not be repenting? That's exactly what your pastor's telling you this morning. We have an entire culture of people that are only sorry if they get caught. Listen to me. We have an entire culture of people that aren't sorry for what they did. They've only, they're only sorry if they get caught doing it. And what we have to teach, look, it's not about getting caught. It's about the transgression against your God. We have got to get back to a place where we have reverence and fear of God again. I'm troubled by a generation of people that look to God as a genie in the bottle. And that's all he is to them. A God that delivers on their wants and desires and their needs, but not a God that demands and expects true transformation in their lives. Repentance is the key. How do I produce true repentance and change in my life? The answer is fasting. I didn't want to hear that, Pastor. I understand that. I don't want to give up my cheeseburgers either. I don't want to give up foot-long cheese coney at Sonic either. That's good stuff. But I also want to live for my Lord and my Savior. I want to please Him. I want to get rid of me that is covertly rebelling against God. That when I'm trying to do right, decides that it wants to rise up and take over. I don't have any room for that in my life. And if I want that gone, then I have to be willing to deny myself. Fasting breaks strongholds in your life and keeps you from and keeps you moving toward true repentance because this is the reason, because self is the problem. We already explained that in James, that self is the problem. If self is the problem, then self must be dealt with, and that is the power of fasting. It denies self, it weakens the flesh, and strengthens the spirit. More of him and less of me. More of him and less of me. I'm going to ask them to come to the piano this morning. No greater words have ever been spoken. John Piper said this, listen. The absence of our fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. The absence of our fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. Now I'm not suggesting that we are a people void of Christ in any way, shape, or form but I am suggesting that more of Him exists for you to have. And that if you want more of Him in you, then you've got to make some room. And making room requires me to get myself out of the way. Fasting is that tool, that mechanism, by which self is denied and Christ is given more entrance into my life and my soul. When we fast, enslavement is broken and we are freed up to focus our hunger on what really 
matters and what we really want. Then, then, our life's verse can be, what I am doing, I understand. For what I will to do, that I practice. And what I hate to do, that I do not do. Can everybody stand across this place this morning? Do you need to cultivate some sensitivity to God's voice? Do you need to know where God is working in your life right now? If so, then you need spiritual understanding and that comes through fasting. Do you need the strength to do what is right each and every day? Do you need to solidify the right practices and make them a part of your daily life? Then you need to fast and ask God to help you get the part of self out of the way that is a hindrance to that. Do you need to overcome some sin that is calling the shots and controlling you? Self has to be overcome. Fasting is that key to that. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burt Burnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, come to the river.